0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. Please go down and check out our show notes. We've got some links to some really awesome memorabilia from the movies we're talking about today. So be sure and check that out. We want to thank you guys again so much for all of the positive feedback that you're giving us. I want to say thank you especially to Arlen Bullard for a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'll read that review now. These are the droids you're looking for. Two guys, one mic, and a fountain of 80s and 90s knowledge which they use to debate the issues that most Americans wonder about. Which movie, album, etc. from the 80s and 90s was better? I don't necessarily agree with either one of them all of the time, but they give you a lot to think about. If you were a child of the 80s or 90s or just a fan of the two greatest decades of the last millennium, then this podcast is for you. And I am serious, but don't call me Shirley. Maybe just this once. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Arlen. That was a great review. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right, everybody. This is Raiders of the Lost Ark versus Back to the Future Part One, The Professor and the Slacker. Join us as we discuss our two favorite movies from the 80s, and please join us in the weeks to come for parts two through four. So without further ado.
1: Everybody and welcome to the Surely Can't Be Serious podcast discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts James D Graves and Jason Colvin. Hey
0: dude. Hi Jason. I'm excited to be here once again. We are here today to discuss our two favorite movies of the 80s. Absolutely. Both of these are top five for me. Um, both of these are, yeah, probably even top three for me.
1: Yeah. I've been waiting 35 years to really get into and talk about
0: these two movies. Have we said the name of the movie? No, 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 no. Oh, gosh, that's this important part, right? Okay, so we're here to talk about... Raiders of the Lost Ark and and Back to the Future. They are both mega-hits from the 80s. I think they'll probably be on anybody's top ten list who was alive at that time. And one of them is Jason's favorite, and one of them is my favorite. And wait for Final Judgment to find out which way that that goes. And once again... After we
1: make our final judgment, we would love to hear from you. Give us feedback on what you think. Uh, do you side with me Do you side with me? Are we both crazy? We'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah. Come see us on Twitter. We love any comments that you have to give. If you think that we're completely off base and you think these movies are terrible, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you can go ahead and tell us what you think anyway. Right. So find us on Twitter at Shirley Podcast and on Facebook at Shirley Podcast. Yep, and that's S U R L E Y
0: podcast. Right. Don't call me sure. Okay, so to get rolling, let's talk real quick about our memory of what we were doing at the time that we saw these movies. Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981. I was 5 going to turn 6 that year. Back to the Future came out in 1985, and so I was 9 going to turn 10 that year. Right. How about you?
1: Okay, so 1981, I was a fourth grader so i was eight and uh 1985 i was had just turned 12.
0: okay so So you were closer we were closer in age you were closer to my age at the time i saw back to the future when you saw raiders of the lost right right very impressionable time of anybody's life absolutely eight and nine years old yes so did you see both of these movies in the theater I honestly can't remember whether I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater or not. I think that I did. Keep in mind, I was pretty young. You are Five to six. Right. I know that we owned a VHS copy of it, and I know I watched it over and over and over again. Sure. I have some confidence that I did see it in the theater. It was my dad's favorite movie of that time period, for sure. Okay,
1: okay. I absolutely saw both of these movies in the theater multiple times. The first time I saw Raiders, I have a very clear recollection of that viewing. You want to get into it? I'm yeah, yeah. Tell me what happened. So I, I saw it. <clears throat> There's a little tuplex in Tulsa, Oklahoma at 51st and Harvard. It's called Fox Theater. There's a little tuplex there. And I don't know why I remember it, but they had the, the video game Battle Zone out front. I remember that tank game. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my mom took me, and so I'm watching Raiders of the Lost Ark with my mother. And as I'm watching this, this is a life-changing experience for me, right? Like Star Wars, four years before, when I saw it in the theater, I came out the other side. I'm a different person. I'm like, right. what the heck? Right. I'm, I'm a new man, right? right? So I see Raiders, and I think, as I'm absorbing this movie, I'm thinking to myself, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, Right. Right. This is amazing. As it's escalating, the movie and the tension, the action is building, building, building. For me, it came to this point where Indy is fighting that German boxer around the plane. Right, yeah. We all remember that yeah. iconic scene and they're fighting and the guy's trying to shoot him and Marion's got the machine gun and she's killing Germans and they're blowing stuff up and there's gas on the ground and oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And here comes the plane, and the propellers are coming, right? Mm-hmm. And as a fourth grader, you can imagine, I'm like, holy smokes, this guy's going to get chopped into fish bait right here on mm-hmm. the big screen. Yeah. And at that exact moment, I'm like, what in the world am I getting ready to see? Yeah. My mom's hand goes over <laughs> my eyes, right? And before I can remove it, uh-huh. of course, I know now that they didn't really show anything. But at that moment, I'm like, what? What did, what, what did I? Yeah.
0: yeah. So – Mom covered my eyes. Thanks mom, appreciate it, but So that's I mean that, that is crazy because that is also the one memory that I have. <laughs> Different scene, but the same type of memory. And I'll just say as a side note, one of my kids when we were watching Batman versus Superman, mm-hmm. there's a scene where Lois Lane's in the bathtub and yes. we're all watching it together and suddenly my 9-year-old was putting his hand over my eyes. It's like what, what, are you, what are you thinking, dude? Yeah, so my dad would always go see movies before he took me to see the movie. Right. Even with a PG rating, which, by yeah. the way, it's insane that this movie got a PG rating. PG-13 didn't exist at the time. Right. And as it turns out, yeah. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is what brought about, I mean, it was a major factor in PG-13 sure. being a rating at all. Right. Because this movie, in a lot of respects, is a horror movie. I mean, it's... Of course. You've seen Poltergeist... It's the same stuff going on at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie. And so, yes, it was that my dad had gone to see it to make sure about things before we went. And I was was a super obedient kid. And so at the point that he says, don't look, Marion, my dad's like, cover your eyes. And I was like, okay. And I covered my eyes and I heard all the noise and the screaming. As I said, we had this on VHS for the rest of my life until I was like 17 years old every time that I every time that that part came I would cover my eyes up because I didn't want to see whatever this my dad thought was too horrible for me to watch Uh and then you know at 17 I'm finally like wait a minute I'm I'm 17 years old why am I still covering my eyes up and so I uncovered my eyes and I watched the scene for the first time I was like oh my gosh he was right I shouldn't have watched (laughs) this Scary. I mean, the faces melt off. Oh my gosh! Well, and Raiders was originally
1: slotted to be rated R because of Belloc's exploding head.
0: Yeah,
1: and then they actually they put fire over and they kind of filtered it. You you have to kind of
0: of the of the faces melting and the head exploding. I think the faces melting is far more disturbing. Far more. And even, I mean, I I looked back at it, you know, you rewatch movies from 20, 30 years ago, and you go, eh, the special effects. And I thought to myself, I'm going to watch this scene, and I'm not going to be impressed with the special effects. It still holds up. It's It's still pretty darn good. I mean, if you look at CGI today, you look at, like, that new Will Smith movie where he's playing himself old and young, I'm still looking at it, and I'm going, I can still see the CGI. Right. So even though I can kind of, in my head, say, yeah, that's just wax, but it's a really good effect. It's good. It's really good. Let's talk about Back to the Future real quick. Okay. Okay. So Back to the Future, I was like, like we said, close to your age. And I can remember my brother coming home from having seen it. And he's like, I just watched this movie. We need to go watch it. And I I was like, today? Right. He's like, I've just seen it. Come with me. We're going to go watch it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And I went and he's and we're talking the whole time. And I, I, I mean, my brother was older brother, eight years older than me. So I very much looked up to him. And for him to give it this kind of recommendation, I had really high expectations. And I was not disappointed. I, I absorbed that movie. From the first watching it, and I don't remember how many times I, I came back to watch it again. But the coolness of Michael J. Fox, the fascination with the guitar playing, the whole time travel, it was just, it, it was a paradigm shift for me as well.
1: So this movie works as a teen comedy,
0: yeah,
1: a sci-fi, yep. and an action movie. Yep. And all three... And a bit of a romance rom-com. yeah. Yeah. And uh, all three hit it out of the park in every aspect of that. Absolutely. Um, totally agree with you. When I saw it, I thought, man, this is the coolest movie I've ever seen. And Michael J. Fox was amazing. Christopher Lloyd was amazing. Leah Thompson. I'm like, who is this girl? Man, I want to marry this girl, mm-hmm. right? The music, the effects.
0: Huh. Yeah. There, and, and again, looking back on this one, I there, except for one part, which even at the time that I watched it, I went, Uh, it's a little hokey yeah. which I found out the reason for later but other than that the special effects hold up they don't do anything over the top Um, and in in 1985 they were creating real storms and lightning back then and there was no green screen and he was really up there on top of a tall building so I mean the, the realism is there because it was real I think both of these movies do a great job
1: of making action amazing without going over the top
0: yep Okay, right, so we'll let's start. let's yeah. get started on the movies. We'll, okay. Let's start with just the introductory scenes. In both movies, we have the introduction of our main character, and in both movies, you don't see their face for a good three, four minutes. It's
1: amazing how similar the introduction of both characters are. Right?
0: Yes. It's brilliant. You see
1: the back of them, you see their shoes. Doc. Hello,
0: anybody home? Einstein, come
1: here, boy. You see their hands. You don't see their eyes either one of them until three minutes after you see their you
0: see their body, but you don't see their eyes. Right, that creates a suspense that you have to have in the beginning part of a movie in order to, and you buy in immediately. Right, who is this person? Right. So let's talk about just the introductory scene. Right. You know, we talked about how these movies follow the old Greek the the way you write stories that we've known for thousands of years of Act One, Act Two, and Act Three. And you mentioned that you thought, well, maybe this is a four act one and and I think the introduction is just a telling of the story before the story. It is a perfect foreshadowing of what's about to happen. So and then also the light. Throughout the movie, especially at the beginning, but throughout the movie, the light that is used on Indiana's face as a definition of who he is and his struggle with right and wrong is amazing. The light itself, even without Indiana, is a symbol of the power of God and death that might come from it, right? right? I mean, one of Indy's very first line is, Stay "Stay out of the light. Right? Yep. Because something bad's about to happen. Right. Which, if you just think about that for just a second. He's in this mysterious labyrinth where he's searching out the treasure, uh-huh. and there's a booby trap that is activated by someone being in the light. That is not even possible. <laughs> that, we're not capable of doing that today. Right, unless it's supernatural. Unless it's Supernatural. Which is a key for this whole movie. The whole franchise, really. Right, absolutely. So, at the beginning, he's in shadow the whole time. We see a silhouette at one of the very first scenes. And then, once you you see the map and the guy pulls out the gun. I mean, the other characters talk a bit. You still don't see him. You still don't know what he looks like. He's just this shadowy figure. We don't even know who he is at this point. And then, at the moment that the guy pulls out the gun and he whips around, literally... Whips the gun out of the guy's hand.
1: Let's back up
0: even more, okay? Yeah.
1: yeah. One of the cool things that I always thought was really neat when I was a kid is the Paramount logo dissolves into a mountain at the very, very beginning of the
0: movie, yes. right? Yes, Okay?
1: So, I said this in 1981. The Paramount logo, which is a mountain. Yes. Dissolves into an actual mountain. Yes. Supposed to be in Peru, right? Right. Well, in 2016 – I visited Kauai, which is an island in the Hawaiian Islands, right? Yep. Yeah. And outside of the town of Anahola, I had a cheeseburger overlooking this mountain. This mountain is called Mount Kalalia. Yeah. And Sat there, had a cheeseburger, cheeseburger called Island Girl, which is kind of cool. You go up and say, I need to take an island girl home with me, right? <laughs> which was kind of fun. But yeah. And so I got to see the mountain. And this mountain range has actually been used in several different movies. I went on a journey to a place called Kipu Ranch Adventures. Plug for Kipu Ranch. If you're ever in Kauai, you definitely want to do this. Okay. They've shot all kinds of movies there. Yeah. They've shot Price of the Caribbean, they've shot Jurassic Park, and they shot the beginning where the Jovitos are chasing Indiana Jones, where he swings out and yes. swings out into the river. Right. And I actually got to go there, swing from that spot yeah. out into the river where all that happens. But Kipu Falls is a waterfall, and that's where he whips the guy's hand, he drops the gun, and that's yes. Kipu Falls. Yes. And I and when I went there, I'm like literally 100 yards away from it, right? I'm like. It's beyond that fence. It's like over there, right? Right. How do I get over there? So I talked to the guy and he was really cool. He's like, can't do it. It's on private property.
0: Uh
1: I said, well, what if I was intent on going? He's like, well, here's the deal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying, you know, I wouldn't call the cops or anything. He's like, but the homeowner has fired his weapon at people who have climbed the fence and gone over there. Oh, my so I'm like, mm, that's okay, I don't need to go see Kibu Falls. Although, man, I was so close, I really wanted to go, but I yeah. couldn't make it over
0: there. I'd have gone and knocked on
1: the door. There's no door to knock on, it's just a fence. It's like acreage, you
0: know? yeah. jungle. Senor, nobody's come out of there alive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so back to the, the, the powers and the lights and all that. They're They're going through the labyrinth. Um, it's brilliant that as as we go through this introduction it's foreshadowing and foreshadowing what's going to happen he has troubles as he's pursuing this religious idol right that's what the whole movie is right right it's just a different religious idol it's a it's a native religious idol as opposed to a Christian religious idol right and so he's hyper aware hypersensitive right there's nothing to fit in. It scares me right right so he's and he's so cool I mean with the whip and the, and the figuring out all of the traps bit by bit, observant, cool, got it all down. He comes to this religious uh, thing. And, you know, you've got to wonder how, like I said, how much of this, how much of the booby traps are things that the natives built? And how much of it is just pure supernatural power, right? Mm-hmm. That's, again, part, a big part of the movie. And then he comes up and the light that shines on his face is gold. Where is that gold light coming right. from, right? I mean, this is the point that his face is completely illuminated. And then this is the point that we find out that he values the religious aspect about as much as a bag of dirt. Right. right? Right. And so his face is illuminated. He switches out the dirt for the idol. And there's this half second beat where he's still in the light. And then it is just at the moment that he turns and is completely in the darkness again that it begins to sink and then all of a sudden this cool james bond of the 1930s-esque you know hero becomes a bumbling stumbling dashing forward without care fool right and that's the way it keeps going and then he loses the treasure and then he gets it back right and then he loses it again right and it It is all just foreshadow, foreshadow, foreshadow of what's to come in the movie. And it happens throughout the whole movie. Right. And then we're introduced to the villain, Belloc, Right. Right there at the intro. And once again, you've got something that I I am taking away. Dr. Jones.
1: Again, we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away. Right. That's right. right. So let's back up for one second. So you and I have discussed pieces of these movies that we have small problems with. We're willing to overlook them because everything else is so great. Okay. But here's my one, one of my problems with Raiders. Okay. At the beginning, like you said, Mm -hmm. he's like, stay out of the light. Don't step on this. It's too easy. Right? Right. Cautious, cautious, cautious. Yes. But at the intro, at the very beginning, as he walks into the cave, he grabs his dirt and just throws it in there. Oh, that's good enough. I mean, how much does that, that head of gold weigh? Oh, Way it, more than that uh, sack of dirt, right? No,
0: apparently the dirt weighs more, otherwise it wouldn't have sunk. The
1: dirt <laughs> apparently wasn't well thought through, Indy. Come yes. on. Yeah. He's <laughs> just like, ah. And then when he gets to the idol, he actually takes a handful of it. He just didn't take enough. He just wasn't thinking. He, so he's good and he's. He's figuring it out as he gets. I don't know. I'm making
0: this up as I go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, he, so he meets Belloc. Too bad the Jovitos. Don't know you the way I do, Belloc. Which, again, introduces another key aspect of this movie, which is it's okay to be smart. Intelligence actually helps you out, even <laughs> if you're the bad guy <laughs> right. sometimes. And he's like, if only they knew you like I know you. Yes, too bad. You could warn them. If only you spoke of Vitos. And he's absolutely right. right. Belloc outthinks him several times in this movie. And so he ends up falling from this cool guy to a guy stumbling running in front of a giant life. rock and bursting cobweb-covered out of a cave and running as soon as the natives' backs are turned down this mountain, just almost like a Keystone Cop episode where they, they're all chasing the bad guy. Jock, start the engine! Start out. the engine! Start the engine! Jock, start the engine! So Jock, I th- for all of my life, I thought. I wasn't jocking any more of the movie or any of the other movies. I mean, he was a great character. And I did some research on him. It's the only movie he's ever been in because he's not an actor. He's a pilot. Is that right? Yes. So when they came and they were scouting locations, you know, they're in Hawaii and they're needing to fly around, he was the pilot that was flying them around to find locations. And they needed a pilot for this scene. And they liked him so much. He was just like this good-natured guide. They said, hey, do you want to just be in the movie? How cool is that? Man? It's super cool. Now, here's the other interesting part. Ten years later, eleven years later, when they're filming Jurassic Park, also in Hawaii, a hurricane hits the island yeah. of Hawaii. And they're stuck. Like, the crew, like Steven Spielberg, Attenborough, uh-huh. that's it, at Lord, Lord Dern, Dern. Yep. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, crew, mm-hmm. all stuck on the island. This guy, the guy who plays Jock, whose name is Fred Sorensen, he flies in and saves the crew from the hurricane that's hitting the eye. It's incredible. Yeah, it's great. I mean, true life. Okay, and then another interesting bit from mm-hmm. the intro scene and the actors. Okay. The, uh, the guy who pulls out the gun to shoot at Indy before they even get to the labyrinth. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. Okay, the, the actor's name is Vic Taglian. Do you know where else you've seen him? I can't think of anything. No. In Raiders of the Lost Ark. What? He is the guy who owns the monkey who has the eye
1: patch.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Isn't that amazing? Awesome. I, I, was, I was just like, I, I'm, I find him. I'm like, I wonder what else he's done. And then it shows me a picture of the guy with the monkey. And I'm like, well, that's the wrong. Oh, my gosh. That's the same guy. Oh, nice. Nice. That's cool. Isn't that crazy? Well,
1: here's something else that I learned while visiting Hawaii. <laughs> All of the Jovitos? Yes. Those guys are surfers. Those are Hawaiian surfers that they gathered up. And if you look closely, they all have swimsuit pants. You can see their surf pants.
0: They've got the tan lines. Yeah. So they get on the plane.
1: Which, do you know the name or the number of the plane that they fly out on? No, tell me. Obcpo nuh Does that sound uh, uh, great. Relatively yeah. familiar? Of course Yeah, absolutely <laughs> I Don't seem to remember Ever owning a droid yeah, absolutely
0: uh, Not to Not to George Lucas And the Star Wars That's right So then He magically escapes I loved watching You know I loved watching Jock Like trying to decide Whether to keep Fighting the fish Or to I, I got one go on the line and Yeah <laughs> <him. laughs> ah, He can drops it in there He's brilliant Freaking Jovitos so. And then we find Just before the end Of the intro scene We find Indy's biggest fear. Yes. And what is his biggest fear? There's a big snake in the plane, Jock. Oh, that's just my pet snake,
1: Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> I hate snakes, Jock. I hate them.
0: And so obviously this, again, the foreshadowing comes in, tells us at the outset, Indy's biggest fear is
1: snakes. Snakes. Hang on to that. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's get into introduction introduction back to the future right so we were just talking in our break about how characters are defined in your head like you know they talk about in good comic book character would be recognizable from his silhouette mm-hmm. and you know you think of the silhouette of batman or the hulk you know yeah i'm going to recognize that guy right indy is one of those guys yes and in my opinion his hat is like the cape like without the hat he's no longer indiana jones he's no longer Superman. He's Just a guy. He's Henry Professor, right? Yes, he's Professor Jones with the glasses. I mean, he really is. He's Clark Kent. That's right. Right. Yeah. Marty is less of a silhouette character, but we still get a strong introduction for that one as well. Absolutely. Now, this one, we start off with sound as opposed to starting off with these silhouetted figures walking through the jungle. And it's tick, 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 because the whole thing is about time. And what better representation of time than clocks, which is what we open up on and we see clock. We see clock. Um, Of course, you know, the critical moment in this movie revolves around a clock. Um, And then we're like, oh, hey, is that Harold? Lloyd hanging from a clock over there on the thing. Is that something coming up in the future? Be weird if that happened later. All right. Um, <laughs> and then inventions are being activated at specific times. Who lives here? Wiley e. Coyote? What is this radio hand thing that we've got going on here? Right. And then we've got the radio talking about the Toyota yep. set up. Yep. TV talking about the sto- stolen plutonium, plutonium. Yep. set up. Missing dog because you got a big pilot dog food all over the place, set up, mansion, set up, burned toast. Okay, that's just burned toast. That's that's (laughs) all that is. Wait a minute, was that a JVC camcorder that I saw down there on the pillow next to pictures Ah, of Edison and Einstein? Yes. And then enter legs. Once again, we don't see his face. What we see is Nike shoes, acid wash jeans, a skateboard, and we know already this guy's obviously cool. (laughs) <laughs> right? right? obviously cool. <laughs> right. And, and wait a minute. Did, did that crate that the skateboard just hit say plutonium on it?
1: In other news, officials at the Pacific Nuclear Research Facility have denied the rumor that a case of missing plutonium was in fact stolen from their vault two weeks ago. A Libyan terrorist group had claimed responsibility for the alleged theft.
0: I love the montage close-ups of the amp cranking it up, cranking it up, cranking it up. Again, we are establishing Marty's character, the guy who wants it. Wow. Right. Right? Right. And then too, um, we have Too this, darn loud. Yeah, two, too darn loud. <laughs> and then we have, even still, before we see his face, we, if you watch it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so obvious that they're not showing his face. We see his back as he backs up and stands in front of this 10-foot speaker. And then bling, we have a stainless steel pick that comes up. Steel, maybe they should make a car like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. And then... Uh, blam, crash instead of whip, bang, and whoa, rock and roll. Rock and roll. And then we see his face. He uh, actually...
1: to. He has to take down the sunglasses. Yes. Okay. A, little, a little more revealed even after the Big Bang. You're, you're exactly right. It's a fantastic intro, very similar to the way Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones' Introduced the beginning, right? Yes. The back of him, but you get all those iconic elements, right? So Andy has the leather jacket, he has the whip, he has got the fedora, he's got the gun. Yes. Marty has the skateboard, the guitar, the sneakers, the
0: plutonium, the jeans jacket,
1: the jean jacket. Yeah. It's all set in the first
0: place. And you, minute. To, you know who these characters are. At the moment that you see their face, you're like, okay, I know this guy and I like this guy. I know already. this guy and I like him already. And there's a good, you know, a great question for both of these guys. Are they good guys? Right. And, Absolutely. And what I think makes both of these movies great is that we don't know. They're just kind of relatable. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, India. when we look at some of Indy's history and see what some of the things that he does, we're like... He's kind of a crummy guy in certain situations, and obviously, Marty is a slacker.
1: You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker.
0: <laughs> I mean, he wants to blame Doc for making him late for school, but I mean, he walked in there like three minutes before the clocks started going off. This exactly is not, right. This is not Doc's fault for his weird experiment.
1: Listen, there's no doubt that Indiana Jones makes some questionable moral choices throughout the movie Raiders. Right. But we love him anyway. Yes, I think that he's got a heart that he has to kind of find sometimes. Absolutely. And Marty is
0: definitely a little bit rebellious, a little bit mischievous. But he's still, he's scared of things. Like he's, in the intro, we see cool, 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 cool. And then a bookshelf full of objects is falling on top of him. And all of a sudden it's goofy again and then he's this kid who's just late for school right i in both scenarios didn't really think to myself oh this is a relatable character right i just went i like this guy right let's take it a step further
1: harrison ford is indiana jones he's absolutely indiana jones we'll talk more about who almost was indiana jones or who was okay we'll we'll talk about that later eric stoltz is not marty mcfly no michael j fox is marty mcfly And I would argue that from the moment that he's blown back by the giant stereo, Mm -hmm. and he's covered with stuff, yes, and the phone rings, and he's trying to stand up, and his the guitar cord is keeping him down, and he's trying. It's funny, absolutely watching him try to stand up and get to the phone. It's funny right off the bat. He's funny.
0: So both movies, we have this strong, strong introductory scene that establishes who the character is, and they are both definitions of foreshadowing. It's a different type of foreshadowing. With Raiders of the Lost Ark, you have what some people call a prefiguration, where you have a short story that is right. mirrors what the long story is going to be. Right. With Back to the Future... You have, as I mentioned, setup after setup after setup. This is all, here's a little piece of something that you're going to see later on. That's right. And it's not, it doesn't tell the story of what's going to happen. It just says, here's something, and here's something, and here's something that all come into play in just a little bit. And that is what happens throughout the whole movie. The whole movie is all about setup and payoff. It's
1: like a scavenger hunt. Here's some plutonium. Hang on to that. You're going to need it. Yeah. Uh, here's a guitar
0: pick you're going to need that too hang on to the skateboard right. that's going to come into play here a little absolutely bit later.
1: I mean how fun is that
0: oh yeah it's so good here's a whip that's going to come into play later you might on. need to I'm going to toss that. this gun into a suitcase that's going to come into play later right. That's right right
1: absolutely imagine me
0: I think at this point, we could probably start talking about how these movies both came into being. But I I said to you before, they're like cousins of each other. I, I really think they are. Not only in their structure, And, um, you know, mix of adventure and bigger ideas, but also because they're both, I mean, they're both Spielberg. They both involve a classic plot structure that goes Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. So the fact that they're our favorite movies makes a whole lot of sense, I guess. Right, right. Now, quickly, I just wanted to cover that. When we were talking about this before we
1: started recording, we talked about, uh, you know, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3... And I made mention that I think that the beginning part of Raiders of the Lost Ark is actually in Act 3 to a previous adventure. Yeah. Right? Which culminated with him getting the idol, the fertility idol, by the way. If you look at it, it's a woman and a little bitty baby in between her legs. Yeah. You have to look really close. And you have to pause it. So it's a fertility idol. Anyway. You uh, sure
0: it's a woman and a baby and not a man? I'm pretty
1: sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> is that a head? Uh, it's a head, but uh, pretty sure it's a child.
1: But um, so anyway, that is one one of the things I like is because, as we'll talk about, Indiana Jones is a serial character. This is a serial story. Yeah. He goes on multiple adventures. This is right. just one that we're catching up with.
0: And this and that. You know, that leads us into how this movie came into being in the first place. Yes. Um, There were classic serials that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and the guys that are of that era grew up watching. And they included these kind of swashbuckling type of characters, very much like the treasure hunters uh, or treasure hunter that Indiana Jones is or... To be more specific, grave robber. And how does one say it? Obtainer of rare antiquities. One way of saying it. Why don't you sit down? You'll be more comfortable. Because that's really what he is. Oh, yeah. No I mean, doubt. Raider was not a not a compliment. No, and he was stealing that idol from the Jovitos. Yes. Again, because he has absolutely no respect for the religious. That's right. That's right. right. So, here's how
1: Indiana Jones started. Okay, go ahead. I mean... The the backstory on these two stories is, is really cool, I think. Yeah. So George Lucas just finished wrapping mm. Star Wars. Yes. Steven Spielberg just finished Close Encounters. Right, and they had
0: Jaws. Jaws was a few years. Right.
1: 1975. So Lucas and Spielberg take their wives at the time. Yep. Go on a joint vacation to Hawaii. Yeah. They're staying at the Mauna Kea Hotel on the Big Island, and they're building a the sandcastle.
0: Yeah, because that's what you do when you're the two greatest directors... Of the day, right? You go build a sandcastle together. That's right. So Lucas is in Hawaii, going. I don't even want to think about Star Wars. I don't know what's going on back home. Uh-huh. But you gotta, you gotta imagine that even with them obviously being friends, and I don't know, I don't know how their friendship developed. I don't know how that started. We know that they're there in Hawaii together, but I don't know how they got introduced and decided to take a family vacation together. But there's got to – with all alpha characters like this, there's got to be this kind of hint of competition. And so I right. think that is kind of what inspires Lucas to ask Steven Spielberg, what are you planning to do next? Sure. Absolutely. Well, they're, they're both titans now. Yeah. At this
1: moment, Spielberg had Jaws. Yeah. And Lucas is back home. Star Wars is
0: going through the roof. Right. Which
1: – it was a nightmare production. He finally got it done, and it's blowing
0: up. Yeah. Jaws and Close Encounters, American Graffiti, and Star Wars. Yep. American Graffiti was a huge hit, but yep. Star Wars was a big question, whether it was going to be a hit or not. Okay.
1: Um, so anyway, they're building a sandcastle. George Lucas says to Spielberg, what are you going to do next?
0: And he says, I'm looking at trying to direct a James Bond movie. James Bond, right? Right. Now, of course, the Bond folks are like, No. Some American can't come and direct this thing, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Forget Jaws. You've never done James Bond. Right. Totally
1: different. Which I love James Bond. What do you know about action? (laughs) Stupid (laughs) Americans. (laughs) So Lucas says, listen, dude, I got something way better than James Bond. Yes. Yes. And he proceeds to tell him, Indiana Smith, yes. this archaeologist yes. who is a serial type of guy. And yeah,
0: based on the serials that they watched of their youth.
1: Right. He wears a leather jacket. He has a fedora, I think, and maybe a bullwhip. And he just kind of tells him just a little bit about it. Right.
0: And he says, what do you think? Spielberg says, I want to direct that. Yes. And so that's really as much as George Lucas had at that moment. The story that Lawrence Caston tells, who is the writer of this movie. who is He's really the unsung hero oh he's he's brilliant and and you know he just to tell his story he is somebody who had loved movies from his childhood he wants to be in movies his whole life but like many of us ends up doing the safe thing and gets a job as an ad exec doing copyright stuff and has a child and you know hey the ad exec job paid for the marriage and the kid but i want to go be in movies i want to do movies and so his wife's wanting another kid he says i'm not having another kid as an ad exec." We, we need to go out to Hollywood, and he finds his way out there, and he's recognized for the quality of his work. He does some good work with Warner Brothers, and then as he's coming along, he says, "I got this great script called Continental D- Divide. I'd like you to take a look at To one of the Warner Brothers guys, and the Warner Brothers guy reads it and says, "I don't like it. Right? I'll I'll show it to Stephen um, or George and see what they think about it." And he's like, "Who?" Right. Steven Spielberg, George. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that'd be fine. Okay. I, might, I might like to work with those guys. And so then, just a few, you know, a little bit of time passes. He sets up a meeting with Steven Spielberg and goes out and sees him on a set sitting on a fake sidewalk. And Spielberg's got Conanel Divide in his hand. And he says, I love this script, but I'm not going to direct it. I'll find somebody else to direct it. Let's not worry about that. What we'd like to talk to you about is writing another movie for us. And he's like, Okay, all right. And he's like, Who's us? And he's like, Well, me and George. Lucas. He's like, oh, okay. You mean the guy who did Star Wars? Right. Yeah. The guy who did, yeah, the, the biggest movie of all time. And right. It, yeah. You're the biggest director of all time. Okay, I'm, I'm interested. Let's see what that is. <laughs> and so they get together. They meet. They have a really short meeting. And George Lucas says exactly what you said. He's like, okay, his name's going to be Indiana because we're naming him after my dog. Right. And he's going to be based on those old serials, He's going to have a fedora. He's going to have a bullwhip. And I'm thinking maybe a leather jacket. Oh, and um, the MacGuffin here is the Lost Ark of the Covenant. And Lawrence Kazan's like, okay, so what happens? And they're like, that's your job. Right. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, see you later. And Kasdan was there with some other guy, and they walk out, and they're like, did we just get that? Is that what, I mean, are we writing this now? Right. And I, when they got home, there was a call from their agent, and yes, they're on board. Right. Kazan sp- sp- spends the next six months uh, writing the script. He He and George and Stephen spend a little bit of time together to kind of iron out some ideas. And then he spends six months writing the script. He comes in, he hands it to Lucas. Lucas throws it on the table and says, let's go to lunch. Right. They go eat lunch and he's like, listen, I'm in trouble. Um, I've got these huge sets that are being built over in the UK right now. And the lady who is writing uh, the script for my second Star Wars movie has passed away. And he's like, so I would like you to write it. I'm in big trouble. Yeah, I'm yeah. in big, big trouble. Right. And he's like, so I'd like you to write it. And Lawrence is like, do you want to read Raiders of the Lost Ark first? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll read that tonight. And if I don't like it, then this offer is withdrawn. Right. But apparently he liked it. Right. 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 It's a pretty cool story. That's great. Can you imagine the type of pressure? Okay, Star Wars.
1: Okay, I'm working on the sequel now. I'm building sets. And, oh, my writer just died.
0: Yeah. Well, can you imagine being the guy who's, who wrote Indiana Jones and Empire Strikes Back in the same year. <laughs> I mean, and then, and then, you know, I don't know how far into shooting they were and how far into the script writing process they were, but at some point, George Lucas says to Lawrence Kasdan, oh, by the way, Darth Vader's looks dead. No, right. he says, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys ever go to Sunday school? Yeah. <laughs> Great. That's the story of the beginning of Raiders. Let's talk about the beginning of Back to the Future. Okay. Sounds so good. Back to the Future was directed by Bob Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, mm-hmm. and written by Bob Gale. Yes. Uh, Zemeckis obviously was involved in the writing process, but largely it was it was Bob Gale who had done that. They had previously worked with uh, Spielberg on a movie called 1941, which was kind of a flop for Spielberg. I still think it's a decent movie, but just. Didn't have a lot of appeal. It, that's true. And he did a movie called Used Cars. Yes. Which, which is one of my favorites. I mean, it's an unsung movie from the early 80s. It's I a think.
1: favorite. It's a cult favorite. Yeah. It wasn't like it, it did Gangbusters at the box office. Not at all. Not at all. Now, the reason why they were able to do Back to the Future is this little sleeper hit in 1984 called Romancing
0: the Stone. Oh yeah, *Romancing the Stone* was another great movie, and so so much inspired by Indiana Jones, right? No doubt. Again, you have this very anti-hero lead who's got a tougher girl to protect. It's 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 very Indiana Jones, but it stands on its own for sure. I loved loved it. Need to watch it again. It's been uh, too long.
1: We're gonna have to cover it, right? *Romancing the Stone* at some point.
0: Absolutely. So, but the
1: script from the time of its inception, right to when it was completed,
0: yes, it was turned down forty-four times. Right. Well, it was conceived in the early '80s, and this is what happened. Bob Gale was going through some of his dad's old yearbooks, mm-hmm. and he's looking through, and he sees a picture of his dad, and it says "class president" on the bottom of it. And he's like, "My dad was the class president." <laughs> right. And his thought is, I mean, this is this kind of tells you his perspective. He's like, "You guys know class presidents; they're all a holes." He's like. Would I even have liked my dad if I had gone to high school with him? And that was the impetus for the whole script. That's it. Which is, I mean, and it continues through. Like, it lasted. They they started pitching this thing in the early 80s. They started pitching this around the time that Raiders had come out and didn't get green light on it until '84. Right. They had pitched it to all kinds of studios that rejected it because it wasn't raunchy enough, which is odd. You know, and I mean, you think about the movies of that time, you've got Risky Business, you've got Porky's, you got all these. Right. Let's go show some movies for no reason at all things, which is one of the things my dad would complain about. It's a good movie. I wish they didn't have to do this so that you can't watch it. She said, yeah, that's the whole reason I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and so it wasn't dirty enough. And so finally somebody said, why don't you pitch it to Disney? And so they go to Disney with it. And the Disney's, Disney's like, it's too the rich. mom is kissing the son <laughs> in the car. <laughs> We're Disney, for goodness sake. What do I, you, We can't make this. Right. And so they're like, gosh, you know, nothing to be done. But they do Romancing the Stone and Steven Spielberg kind of swings in uh and and saves the day on this he's like let's let's make this happen yeah, actually
1: when bob gale brought that idea to bob zemeckis yeah he said hey my dad was class president and i saw the yearbook and i thought would i even be friends with this guy yeah if i was there at the time yeah and bob zemeckis's addition to that was what if you found out that your mom was the town slut oh,
0: brilliant. yes so, join us next week for part two of the debate. Thank you so much for your support of the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. Don't forget, we also love to discuss these on social media. So, be sure to follow us at Shirley Podcast on Twitter. Shirley Podcast on Facebook. Email us at ShirleyPodcast at gmail.com. Or check out the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast channel on YouTube. And as always, please hit the subscribe button now so that you never miss an episode of the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. By the way, Darth Vader's looks death. No bleep, right. he says, yes. Ah, oh, no bleep. <laughs> All music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the Fair Use Agreement under the U.S. Copyright Law.